You are listening to Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, welcome everyone to this edition of Holding Court, this Tennis Tuesday. And of course, being the Tuesday right after the French Open has ended, I think it's pretty obvious what our topic needs to be today. Lots of stories that continued throughout the French Open, of course, starting with the Naomi Osaka saga, which uh, there's no end in sight to that one. And we'll wonder how that's going to pan out. And of course, uh, we all hope that we will see her at Wimbledon, but I would say that's very much up in the air. Then, of course, the Roger Federer story took over in the beginning of week two when he decided to withdraw. That created a little bit of controversy as well. Federer has already, in fact, played a match on grass uh, today in Halle, won two tight sets to win his first match on the grass as he sets his sights on Wimbledon. But of course, uh, the talk of week two, it's all about uh, Mr. Djokovic and winning his 19th major title, his second French Open title. And, of course, now he's one away from Messrs. Nadal and Federer. Both of them have 20 major titles. And I sent out a tweet pretty shortly after the match saying that uh, the most complete male tennis player of all time is Novak Djokovic. So considering how much attention that got on Twitter, blew me away, actually, how many uh, retweets and likes and so on it got. So clearly, uh, you fans said to me, that's what you want to talk about by the interest in that just very simple one statement. I've made similar statements uh, uh, before about Djokovic, about obviously Federer. Normally, the tweets about Federer get the most attention. uh, But that, to me, is sort of sending a message about how much this victory for Djokovic resonated with you, the tennis fan. Uh, the fact that it got so much attention. And uh, so let's go to the, you know, first of all, you go back to the match against Musetti when he was down two sets to love there. Musetti uh, playing unbelievable clay court tennis. Djokovic just steadied himself and, of course, reeled off the last three sets very easily. I, I was shocked that Musetti didn't finish the match, which I think I said on an earlier podcast was ridiculous. Finish the, game, the match, play two more games, even if he can barely stand up, which I know he couldn't. He wasn't injured. So Djokovic, uh, by doing that, you know, just reassured himself, obviously, that the fitness is there, not that he needed that, but that he's extremely confident in those long, grueling matches. And as it turned out, that's exactly what happened on the final weekend. So let's start with uh, what really should have been the final. And this is to take nothing away from Sitsipas, who played a great semifinal, winning that in five, and then played an outstanding final uh, with a two-set lead over Novak before succumbing in the final set. So when you, we, you there's, a, there's a few things that i got to talk about uh, when you're talking about that particular matchup, uh, Novak against uh, Rafa in that first semi, <clears throat> turned out to be the second semifinal, which to me was actually a huge factor in the outcome of the match because the match ended up being played 
uh, after the opening set, essentially under the lights and essentially in those cooler, what we in the tennis world call heavier, damper conditions. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty simple. It means that the ball grips the surface when there's a little more moisture on the court in the air. That gets into the balls. It gets into the surface. Uh, and the ball just doesn't jump as high. And uh, uh, if I had been calling that match, I would have been on that from the very start because in the opening set, it was played, you know, sort of at dusk. It was early evening. It was still pretty bright out. Uh, and no surprise that, that Nadal jumped out to a quick five-love lead. You know, it looks similar to what happened in the, in the final last year. Now, the final last year was also played in kind of heavier conditions, and I thought that would help Djokovic at the time. It turned out not to because Nadal just steamrolled him. But this time, Djokovic was was better prepared. He'd had a lot more matches on clay. You know, he's a, obviously a great clay court player, but it's not his best surface. His, prob- his most vulnerable surface is clay. He's only won the French Open twice. Of course, Rafa's won it, uh, we know, what, 13 times. So uh, Nadal is comfortable on clay no matter what the conditions, no matter what um, type of clay, if it's fast, if it's heavy, if it's slow. He prefers it faster. Okay, he prefers it with that higher bounce. And that's what we saw in the opening set. And Djokovic, to his credit, was able to find his teeth when he was down 5-zip, get back into that set and make it 5-3. And that sort of set the table for him to find his game. And he even said after the match, he said he didn't really feel like it was time to panic because it was different than he felt at least hitting the ball in last year's final, which of course was just about six, seven months ago, was in the fall, that he felt a little more comfortable. And then, you know, he started to find his game, wins the second set. And then by the time you get to, you know, the early stage of the third, which arguably maybe the greatest set ever played. A lot of people are saying this is the great, you know, one of the greatest matches ever played. I'm not sure I can go there because it was, it wasn't a blowout in the fourth, but it was it was a clean victory in the fourth set. I mean, once you once Djokovic broke back in that fourth set, it was Nadal was pretty much done. He was pretty much toast physically, and and this is the reason why I believe that he was toast is because as the conditions started to change, as they started to evolve in that midway through the second and into the third set, meaning the court got a little heavier, it got a little bit cooler, uh, the ball wasn't jumping off the court as much. So that meant that every uh, – Nadal's still great. Djokovic is still great when the court's slippery and bouncy, but the difference between the two is so minimal that the strike zone for Djokovic, instead of it being as it would be in quick – drier conditions during the day, up shoulder height, maybe even a little higher. Now it's more in his pocket, which is sort of between the shoulder and the hip level. And he's hitting a lot more balls in that area where he's more comfortable. Nadal, you know, he can hit the ball from from any level. And and obviously, I mean, so can Djokovic, but Nadal can get so much top on the ball, so much topspin that he can hit angles more easily. He can get the ball to jump more easily in those dry conditions. So I feel that Nadal knew that was happening. And obviously Djokovic was playing great, was able to use the drop shot. They were both, I mean, the third set was just ridiculous, over an hour and a half. I mean, the level of play they were both at was was nothing short of phenomenal. To see that type of athleticism, recovery, shot making, point after point after point is basically what you saw in that third set. But I think it started to wear on Nadal. It started to wear on him physically. He had a chance, a real good chance, to obviously win that third set. 
And when he couldn't do it, if he had been able to win that third, you know, he, he, he finds that maybe extra level of, of energy. And I think he could have gotten to the finish line. Not sure. I think once Djokovic won that third, to me, it looked over, even though Nadal got off to a quick start, got a quick break early in that four set. But to me, it appeared that he was running on fumes. And that's because the energy it took him to hit the ball, to get the ball out of Djokovic's strike zone was much more difficult as the conditions started to change. And this kind of brings me back, even though, again, Sitsipas played a great match in the final, certainly deserved to be there. But I did send out a tweet before the tournament started that you cannot seed Rafael Nadal number three at Rolling. And this was exactly the reason why. Because these two guys, not only do they have to play in the semifinals, um, and, and certainly took away some of the legs of Djokovic, even though he recovered midway through, you know, early in the third set against Sissipas. That was the reason he came out kind of flat and lacking a little bit of energy. Now, he was able to recover. The guy's recovery powers are absolutely absurd that he's, he's done this how many times? He's come from the brink of defeat. You know, U.S. Open against Federer, Wimbledon final. I mean, those aren't, weren't as physically taxing as some of the Aussie Open matches with Nadal, the, the one with team when he seemed to be sick. Um, you know, this one obviously on the clay in the third set, that he's able to find this other gear. And, you know, the other thing about Djokovic that we, we sort of forgot during this tournament, I mean, it was only nine months ago we got disqualified from the U.S. Open, and we were wondering, how's this guy going to recover from that? You know, opportunity lost to, to win another major. Well, guess how he's recovered? He wins the Australian he wins this tournament, and I was really impressed with the he kept his his head together throughout. I mean, he had those big um, outbursts when he you know when he beat Berrettini. He was even you know a little tame after the win against Nadal because you know it took so much out of him, and he knew he still had one more match to play. But I I was really impressed with his mental focus and the fact that he never. I mean, of course, you know he gets fired up. That's part of his greatness. But it, 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 it did appear that he was sort of in a zone, like a Zen zone where he was pacing himself. And, and he, knew, he, he knew once he beat Nadal that he was the favorite, obviously. But Sitsipas is tough. I mean, and Sitsipas came to play in that final, uh, won the first set in a break or kind of ran away with the second set. And you're thinking, hmm, you know, maybe Djokovic is just out of gas. Maybe having to beat Nadal in the semis is too much. This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. The 
the other thing that gets my mind going is that I'm thinking to, you know, and this is probably going on in Nadal's mind. He'll never say it. He'd never admit it. But if they had played in the final, okay, they would have played in the middle of the day. Now, you never know the conditions, the weather conditions, but normally, you know, 3 o'clock Paris on a Sunday, and this year was a week later, so the weather was maybe a little warmer than normal. I still like Nadal's chances to beat Djokovic in those conditions. Now, again, Djokovic came through, and, you know, neither of these guys are going to complain about the conditions. Whatever surface they play on, it can be a factor. Obviously, Novak's is, you know, a much bigger favorite on grass, although they played an epic match a couple of years ago on the grass. So they can play, both can play on every surface. That's obvious. But Djokovic, the reason I said in that tweet, is the most complete player because he, now he's the only one of these guys to have won each major at least twice. You know, you look at the overall numbers of them in the in the big tournaments. Joker's got a, a pretty sizable lead now. He's won, won five of the year-end championships. Federer's won six. That's the indoor tournament uh, in Lund- was in bed in London the last few years. Uh, you know, the low-bouncing indoor court doesn't suit Nadal well. He's never won that tournament. I don't even think he's ever been to the finals there. You look at the tournaments, the Masters events, which are you know, the Monte Carlos, the Romes, the Cincinnati's, uh, BNP Paribas, those, those tier events just below the majors. You've got Novak with 36, Nadal with 36. Most of Nadal's just like his majors on clay, but he's won plenty of hardcore big tournaments as well. But Djokovic has a better spread. You know, he's got a better spread of now majors and certainly of the Masters events as well. I don't have the actual Masters numbers right in front of me. Federer, by the way, has won... 28 masters events so if you look at you know the atp does kind of a nice job they do the big titles so they include the majors the atp finals the masters and the olympics which nadal's won one olympic gold uh and you've got you include those four separate events and you've got djokovic with 60 nadal with 57 and Federer with 54. So just, you know, similar to the, the numbers of the majors. Of course, you've got Nadal and Federer still at 2020. Now you've got Djokovic going into Wimbledon as a very solid favorite. Although, I, I, as I said before, I wasn't happy with Federer pulling out of the French Open the way he did, even though I understand why he did it. It still didn't suit, sit well with me. A lot of the Fed fans just came after me on Twitter very upset at how could possibly could anybody criticize the great Roger Federer. And I've been blowing smoke Federer's way, and rightly so, for plenty of plenty of years, and I'll continue to do that. And by the way, I think he's got a shot at Wimbledon. Okay, I, th- I mean, I, I'm not sure I'd put him t- at the second favorite at the moment. Uh, we'll see how he does in the, in the rest of the tournament in Halle. Obviously, Djokovic is a solid favorite, but, uh, I mean, look, there's just not that many guys that are that great on grass. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So Djokovic is a huge favorite. Nadal like I say every year with him, if he can get through the first couple matches, he'll be a threat. But he's more vulnerable than the other guys early when the courts are a little bit soft and the ball doesn't bounce quite as, uh, as high. Uh, so he can get picked off earlier. For Djokovic and Federer, if Federer, assuming Federer's 100%, which it looks like he is, very difficult for them, although it has happened before to, uh, to Federer. Stikowski, remember, beat him. Sanga, I think that was a quarter. Djokovic lost that one year early to Query, but that was when he was having all sorts of other issues off the court and so on. And then he had the elbow problem 
So, uh, and then the final, I get, look, sits a pass. I love the way he battled in the fifth set, too, because he was down. Djokovic had him on the ropes. Djokovic is just so smart about the way he was using the heavy ball. He was using the drop shot. I mean, his backhand was, was laser-like with its solidity. Sits a pass. You know, the serve was big, but it needed to be bigger, a little bit bigger. He wasn't winning that many cheap points in the last couple of sets. And Novak, just he just zeroes in. You could just see him in that fifth set. He's like, I'm not going to take any unnecessary chances. He's still hitting the ball, but he's hitting with a little more margin, a little more shape on it, and, and just running the guy ragged. You know, and then playing the, the drop shot. Both guys used the drop shot a lot and used it very successfully. Just all court tennis. I, I thought it was a great effort by Sitsipas. I hope to see him build off that. He pulled out of the tournament this week. He was supposed to play in Holly. Smart move. Try to get himself ready. He should be a threat at Wimbledon. He's got the athleticism. He's got the all-court game. He does like to have a little bit of time on his shots, uh, and I think that's why he, he, he does so well on clay and on the, on the quicker hard courts. I mean, look, he obviously he's good on them, but I think the grass with the ball's a little lower – and you don't have quite as much time. If he can get that down, get the timing down. I mean, he's a big guy. He's, a, he's long, so he needs a little more time on his shots. Whereas Federer's, you know, his backswings could be super quick, and he could take the ball right off the bounce easily, which is why he's been so unbelievably good on grass. Uh, e- even with the one-hander, he's just able to improvise quickly and, and pick the ball off uh, right off the bounce. And it, it sits a pass. You know, he, he likes the ball coming down to him a little bit more, a little more time. They sort of freewheel it with those big groundies. So if he can make the adjustment on grass, uh, look out. because. But I think he needs to be a little bit more offensive, look to come in a little bit more. So Djokovic, as I said on my tweet, the most complete player ever. I didn't go there and say the greatest player ever. Oh, could be, you know, all the, then the Djokovic fans get pissed. Oh, just say it, Patrick. Say he's the greatest of all time. Not going to say it yet. I'm not going to say any of them are the greatest because he's still got a lot of tennis to play. There's one thing we should have learned, okay, with these guys. is And the other thing is don't put too much into just one match. I mean, you remember, you know, Federer get, pulling out of Wimbledon a couple of years ago at the back, and they're like, he's done. Then he comes back, wins two more majors. And, you know, Djokovic destroys Nadal that one year at the Australian, you know, 2-2-2 two, two and two or something in the final. And they're like, oh, it's over. Rafa's done. And then what happens? Rafa comes back, beats him at the French Open in straight sets. So these guys have incredible ability, these three guys to take some of these losses, some tough losses, whether they're, you know, like Federer's loss at Wimbledon, which, is, which was killer for him, 5-3. I mean, serving for the match at 40-15, double match point, late in the fifth against Djokovic. Still come back. I mean, these guys, Djokovic, I said this a couple of years ago, the clutchest player I've ever seen. I mean, that you can't even, I mean, there's not even a question about that. The amount of matches he's won down two sets or in trouble or seemingly out of it, coming up with, like, you know, the drop shot against Nadal, set point down in the third set. I mean, how, the guy's got so much guts, and yet he does it in such a calm demeanor. It's a why is he the most complete player? Great on offense. Not as great as Federer on offense, but unbelievably good. Unbelievably good on defense, neutral balls. Is Nadal a slightly better defensive player? Well, certainly on clay he is. On the other services, I'm not sure. I'd probably say Novak. Great serve, underrated for many years, incredible at the net, ability to step in and take the ball early. Again, what you saw in the French, ability to put a little more loop on the ball when he wants to, depending on his opponent, depending on the situation, depending on the conditions. He's got just so much versatility 
in every ball he hits, he could hit it like four or five different ways where, you know, Nadal's going to come through. He's going to come, come after you sort of one way, especially on clay. And usually that's enough to bury you. And Federer is just, you know, an arsenal of incredible offensive shots, great defensive shots, especially on grass where you can use a slice on the run. But I'm telling you, Djokovic, it's, there's just no weakness in the guy. I mean, sometimes the forehand goes off and, you know, he'll misfire the backhand here and there. But, I mean, when he's locked in, it's like, where do you go? Where do you, where do you go? There's, no, there's nowhere to go because the quickness is there. The solidity is there off both sides. The ability, you saw him step up and take some returns early and just go big down the middle. He got pissed off late in the match when he hit one on the line, got overruled against Sitsipas late. He picks his times. You know, he knows when to sort of go for it. He knows when to reach back and just play more conservatively, uh, use his legs, stay in points, use the backhand slice. Uh, some of those shots he made when the great drop shots and he's sliding in, he's, you know, putting a little dink behind Rafa or sits about absolutely mesmerizing. So that's why I say he's the most complete player of all time. I don't think there's any question about that. Again, let's not go. We're not going there yet. The Djokovic fans want to go crazy. Of course, he's the greatest ever. Uh, he may end up being that. I mean, if you look at his, the way he looks physically, and again, I've said this, and I'll say it again, he's a favorite in three of the four majors every year. Uh, now he wins the French. That's the one that's the toughest one for him to win. Goes into Wimbledon. As he said, he's going to rest. He's going to get himself ready. I'm sure Nadal's doing the same thing, trying to gear himself up, make a run, which he could absolutely make a run. But Novak, the, inter the other interesting thing about Wimbledon will be how will they seed these guys? Because, I, again, I, I'm just so irritated that they didn't see Nadal, too, uh, at the French. Excuse me, we had to see those guys playing the semifinal. Still turned out to be an epic. Still the right guy won, meaning Djokovic, you know, won that final. Where do they seed Feder? Do they move him up to the into the top four? Does it depend a little bit on how he does in Halle? I know they've got their sort of mathematical grass court system at Wimbledon. Pandemic, do they take that into account? That will be sort of the next big story for me. Obviously, that in addition to uh, will Osaka be at Wimbledon, that will be a story that will be big either way. Um, so I hope she does. I mean, I hope number one, she's, she's healthy and, and getting herself together, getting the help she needs. I will continue to address that topic uh, at the appropriate time because I think it's extremely important. So I'm doing my homework on that. And I hope you enjoyed this edition of Tennis Tuesday. Novak Djokovic, the most complete male tennis player of all time. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.